Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I'm excited about Operation Christmas Child. This is really fun, and I appreciate you doing this. Uh, it's really it's it's cool to get back in the groove of that. We used to have so much fun with that before, and 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 I love that we're doing it again. So, uh, and I'm I can't tell you how much I appreciate your response as a community. Just to just to see how generous that you are. Uh, I, I'm always impressed by you. So. Uh, listen, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, obviously, but I want you to think about it. Uh, I, I want to ask you, do you have a friend? Like, think about your life. No, please don't lay, say it out loud. Uh, just, <laughs> this Use your inside, uh, interior voice. Uh, 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 and think about, like, someone, you know, in life that you would identify or use that term, this is my friend, and I don't mean a list of contacts on social media, I mean like a close friend, someone that you can confide in, someone that you know will be there for you or that you will be there for uh, in difficult times. I hope you do. I really hope you do. And if you do, I want you to think about how that relationship works. How does that work in your life? In other words, what connects you to this other person? Uh, do you, do you, do you have to be a friend to this person? Does this person have to be your friend, or is this a mutual choice that you've made? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the noun friend as one attached to another by affection or esteem. And I mean, as we think about it, that's the way our best relationships in life work. That way, through through that same mutual sense of affection, esteem, uh, you know, not out of obligation or compulsion, but attachment through affection, through love. Now, as Christians, we talk a lot about our relationship with God. We we have as a mantra sometimes: Christianity is not a religion; it's a relationship, and we talk about our relationship with God. But far too often. The idea of relationship devolves into ideas of performance and obligation as it touches our spiritual journey. And for many, many Christians, the idea of God being our friend, someone attached to us through mutual affection, is almost a foreign concept. I can tell you that from my own experience, in the formative years of my Christian walk, that was a foreign concept. But Jesus tells us plainly he has mutual love in view when he describes the dynamic of our relationship with God. And we're going to talk about that today. We're continuing in our study in the Gospel of John. If you've got a way of being able to follow along, if you'll head over to John chapter 14, please. Last week we began this chapter. We're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And Jesus is still in the midst of his farewell address to his disciples. He's speaking words of comfort to them on the eve of what he's been describing as his departure. We know that means on the eve of his arrest and execution. Our text this morning builds on that idea where Jesus is going to reveal that because he leaves our relationship with God would now go to whole new levels where God the Father and Jesus the Son will actually live in us. And the agent of that will be the Holy Spirit. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at. We'll be unpacking those ideas. We'll look at the characteristics of this amazing relationship that we have with God and what that can mean to us in our everyday lives as we continue to live on this broken planet. So if you're there in John chapter 14, we're going to pick up where we left off, starting with verse 15. Jesus is still talking, and he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Man, that is a heavy statement. That is... Honestly, that last line there makes me worried that we're just blazing through John too fast because I feel like we could camp there for a while. But anyway, have you ever thought thoughts along the lines of, man, I just wish I would have lived when Jesus was alive. I wish I could have been there when he was there. You know, you watch The Chosen and you're just like, man, if I could have just been there, that would have been so much better. Like if I I could have had him explain things to me and, you know, I'd have been inspired by him all the time and everything would have just made more sense. I really wish I could have been there when Jesus was ministering uh, in, in the flesh. And that's a pretty common wish. For people to make. Uh, but it is, in actuality, flawed thinking. Uh, there's nothing in the gospel accounts that would lead us to believe that Jesus' disciples had it any easier. In fact, I would suggest it was just the opposite uh, of that. Those who were the closest to him were still so unsure about him that betrayal and denial were real options to them when the heat came on. The disciples as a whole, as we read these accounts, are usually perplexed and confused by Jesus. And really, as we look at it and we think about it, they didn't start taking shape as stable followers of Jesus until after Jesus was no longer present with them the way he had been before. That's actually something to, you know, take a long walk and ponder for a while. That's what Jesus is trying to get across in this section. It's still in the context of letting them know that he's leaving, but he's also letting them know that he's going to still be with them. Another confusing and perplexing statement for him to make. I'm leaving, but I'll still be here. Okay. But in a better way is what he's trying to say. A new way. A whole, you know, this whole section that we're going to be looking at here is a whole new way of being able to relate to God. The relationship that people will have with God because of Jesus is about to change dynamically. And he introduces us to the agent of this new relationship, the Holy Spirit. And this is one of our primary sources for the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one and yet eternally manifest as three distinct yet co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There will be a test after this, so please take notes. Now, listen, and you know, and we say things like, you know, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it doesn't. I mean, it's very confusing stuff. 
But this is not to, to you know, to um, dismiss that. Uh, we always have to remember that when we're talking like this and we're using theological terms, we're, we're using the language that we've devised to try and help us apprehend uh, the magnitude of what it is that's revealed to us here uh, as human beings. We've got to have some way of, of processing it, of communicating uh, about it. So, we, you know, we're, we never want to become anti-theology as though somehow that's a bad thing. It's very important. It's very useful as a tool. But, but the problem with it is we, we tend to forget that it's just a tool, that there's just the words that we're using to try to describe God. You know, the word became flesh. The problem is we keep trying to make our words into God, and that's where it becomes problematic. But this particular doctrine of theology is important to us because it connects us to historic Christianity, uh, this, this idea of God being three and one. But I do want to point out the, the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here is about this new relationship that we'll have with God in the absence of his physical presence. So he wasn't trying to get all heavy and theological constructs for them. He was trying to let them know that they can be reassured that even though they don't see him the way they were seeing him, he is still present. He's still going to be active. He's telling them and us that he's leaving, but he's still here because he's going to send the Holy Spirit not just to be with us, but to be in us. And man, that changes everything. You know, if I got a slice of apple pie near me, well, it's with me, and that's kind of comforting. But when I eat it, it's in me, and that's a whole different story. The pie is much better that way. I think that analogy breaks down as I'm standing here thinking about it. Let's just... <laughs> Jesus is describing a, a whole new dynamic. I think I'm hungry. That's what it is. Okay. He's describing a whole new dynamic in, in humanity's relationship with God. God in us. Where God gives human beings his own breath, his inner life, the, uh, the, 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 the ability to become united and one with God through the agency of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Now Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in this section the advocate. That's how the NLT, which I'm reading from, translates it. Some translations will say helper, some translated as the comforter, some as the counselor. You'll, you, you may be reading a different translation and notice that. The reason for so many different renderings of this is that the word that Jesus uses in the Greek, uh, parakletos, has so many nuanced meanings to it. It doesn't just mean, you know, we hear advocate, we think in terms of somebody who, who comes to support our cause. So, He's, when he's using that term advocate, he's not just saying someone who comes to support our cause of following Jesus. It contains that idea. It actually does. But uh, the NLT goes with advocate uh, as the meaning. And, and we have to think of it more uh, from the Greek rendering of it like a defense attorney would come. Uh, you know, in, in ancient Rome... If someone was uh, summoned to court and accused of a crime, a parakletos was a friend who would come and stand by the side of the accused and plead their case for them, plead their innocence. Uh, but the parakletos also means someone who brings comfort. So if you've ever been in a situation with someone who has gone through a tragedy or if you yourself have gone through a tragedy, you know how powerful and meaningful it is for someone just to come and put their arm around you, hold you steady in that moment, help you find that stability to achieve a coping life. That's a parakletos as well. That's a comforter. Um, 
so this sense of support that forms a bridge towards stability is included in us. That's what the Holy Spirit does, giving this comforting strength for life. The Holy Spirit, then, we could describe, based on what we were saying earlier, as a friend, a close friend, a closer friend even than a brother. The one pleading our case and reminding heaven of our plight, the one comforting us and providing us with the strength and stability that we need to navigate through this life. Jesus is saying that he's going to leave, but he will still be present through the Holy Spirit, and he will be our friend, our support, and our defense. And I find that very comforting. Jesus describes the characteristics of this new relationship with God, and that's what I want to dial in on this morning. God is in us through the Holy Spirit. When we believe on Jesus, we surrender our lives to him. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and then we are connected to God in a whole new way. It's one thing to have an idea of God, maybe even a belief of God's existence, but to be indwelt by God, man, that's a different thing altogether. And in describing this new relationship, Jesus started off by talking about what? Verse 15, if you have your Bible open, what's the first thing he's talking about? Love. He starts right off the back. He frames this in love. I mentioned to you that in these few chapters, love is going to come up 31 times. So he begins there, this, this primary characteristic of love. God in us inspires a motive of reciprocal love for God. And we learn here then that love is the basis for our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is formed in love. It is not a religion formed in obligation. And I'm telling you, that is a lesson 2,000 years in the learning for the church. We just can't seem to stick here. <laughs> we, we, we get here, I mean, we get here historically over and over and over again, but we can't seem to, to homestead here. <laughs> we just keep wandering uh, away. It is not a religion of obligation. It is a relationship bound together by mutual affection and love. Love is the condition by which we receive the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you know, pray three times a day for as long as you can, and then the Holy Spirit will come to you. Or, or he didn't say, try your best, try your hardest to be the best person that you can possibly be, and then maybe you'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's not that at all. He starts it off, if you love me, if you love me, You'll live by my words, and God, as your comforting, defending friend, will be in you, always present with you. The wording is important here, too, because I would say that I know in my own experiences, in my formative years as a Christian, and, and, and I know in my conversations with many people since then, that for a lot of people, when we read this, it gets rewired in our brains, so that it comes out, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. But that's not what's said at all. The only if in this whole thing is, is, is leveraged on our love. Our love is something else. But God's love, man, His love is never in question in this. It's ever and always. It is unchanging and eternal. You are loved by God. That is your condition. You can't shake it. It's immutable. It's unalterable. You are loved by God. Nothing you can do about it. Sorry. But that's just who you are. That's the reality of who you are. 
whether we do well or whether we do badly, our condition as the, as the objects of God's love never changes. Soak in that for a moment. Our love on the other side of that? Well, that's another story. I mean, our love for God is always in question, I would say, because our hearts get so messy and confused so easily. The static of this world, man, it's hard to break through. So Jesus guides our love here, saying, in essence, your love will be revealed in the pattern that you choose for life. You reveal your love for me by following my pattern in living by my values and choosing my priorities and promoting my purposes in this world. That's how your love for me is revealed. Love Jesus is talking about isn't just sentiment or emotion. Another thing we tend to want to devolve this into, emotion, that's a big, huge deal anymore. Like You go to a church service, was it good? Yeah, man, I was crying the whole time. Well, yeah, but was it good? Yeah, no, man, I felt all kinds of goosebumps. Yeah, but... What was going on in there? I, I just felt it. It was awesome. We've, we've, we've turned it all into this emotional experience. We get a good emotional rush and we feel like we can make it another day. Uh, you know, until we get a flat tire and then we're cursing everything, including God. But no, he's not talking about just emotion. The, the, you know, because honestly, it's the feelings. All of that stuff is the surface of the ocean. It's not those deep currents underneath. He's not, you can't command feelings anyway. He's commanding you, saying, follow my commandments, you'll love me. You can't make somebody, you know, put a gun to their head. You love me? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, Ooh, do I? No. Jesus doesn't want our feelings. He wants so much more. Authentic love is demonstrated in the way we live with and for our fellow human beings whom God loves. Because while all of you in this room are the recipients of God's love, your absolute immutable condition It's also the same condition for everybody outside this room on this entire planet. And we are showing our love for Jesus by taking up his mission and loving those who are around us. You know, it's we could we could call it devotion like that. You know, we talk about a a couple being devoted to one another. Uh, You know, my my wife, Robbie, and I were. uh, we're an older couple now. We're coming up on our 40 years of marriage this week. And, and, and I feel secure in saying that we are devoted to each other in our relationship. I mean, it began with feelings, sure. We, we're in a church of 2,000 people, and we were so, like, gaga in love. We were sitting there in the front row of the church, 2,000 people behind us, and sitting there, mooning eyes over each other. And, like as if nobody could see it. The whole place knew what was was going on there. It was so embarrassing looking back on it. But either way, there were feelings. Yes, there were all kinds of feelings associated with it. But that matures. Now, there are still feelings. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah, I don't have a feeling of anything. No, there's feelings included in our relationship, but it has matured into a bond of commitment and self-offering to the other, which we describe as devotion in our language. And my devotion for her has caused my life to change in profound ways. My life is lived entirely differently than the trajectory that it was on before I I met her. And that's the thing. Believing in Jesus and being in relationship with God through Jesus will change 
us. It does bring about a different life in us, but not through moralism, not through the keeping of a religious code or laws. Those things can only produce an outward conformity to static rules. God wants to inspire a response of devotion and love from us where we choose, act, and think, and speak according to His values, and not just out of our own self-interest like the world's system always does. God loves us, and so we respond with love. And that is the ideal. That's how God is revealed to us and to this world. It's this mutual expression of love. And according to verse 21 in there, it's He's going to reveal it to each of us. He's going to reveal it to us. Which brings us then to our, our next characteristic of this relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Judas, whoa, Judas? No, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name. Well, how was I supposed to know? Well, it's in the other Gospels. Go look at it. Anyway, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me won't obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He'll teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. All right, so this love that we share with God is how God is actually revealed. And then there's this sense of an ever-unfolding detection here, this ever-unfolding mystery getting revealed to us and in us that you know it's this ongoing discovery having god in us in the person of the holy spirit and guiding us and informing us and inspiring us and i believe what this is telling us is that our relationship with god is going to produce a direct divine discovery of who he is who we are and what this world is that we're living in you know, now this was confusing his, uh, to his disciples that night. Uh, it's, it's still a lot to try to get our heads around. There's, this is dense all the way through. I love this section in John. I mean, he's just rattling off stuff. We could circle back on this and go through it about 12 more times and still not plumb the depths of it. But, but so OJ, the other Judas, you can't get it. We, uh, you know, he's, he's looking at Jesus and goes, dude, it's so we're, gonna see you but nobody else is gonna be seeing you so you're kind of like an invisible friend to us but jesus is trying to explain that the world that is this system of of trying to achieve a good life or trying to achieve paradise apart from god that's what the world's system is representative of can't see him because it doesn't love him but we do because we love him that's, that's all he's trying to get across in that. He is revealed in this relationship with, of love. This is the point that Jesus keeps repeating to us. This is why it, it needs to be our primary focus, the recognition, acceptance, and, 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 and then expression of this amazing love of God. So think about it like this. Uh, you know, I look at the Hathaway Bridge right over here. I, I can go look at the bridge, and, and yeah, it's a nice bridge. 
But for me, I see a road suspended over the waterway that keeps me from having to take a boat if I want to go to the new movie theater in town or, or something like that. It's nice. It's a nice bridge. But, but that's all it is. I don't really even give it much more thought than that. I, you know, I don't like that bridge if there's traffic on it and I can't change lanes or something like that. But other than that, I don't even think about that bridge. But a bridge designer would see it much differently. Bridge designer would look at that bridge and, you know, it would manifest itself to the engineer. It would show its design and its strengths and the mathematics and the physics would all be revealed in that bridge together. Why? Because she loves bridges. Because that's what she's all about. She's into that. God manifests himself to his disciples because we love him. And we see him, his design and his activity and his love for us revealed sometimes in those small things that could be so easily unnoticed, but we notice them because we love him, because we're the recipients of his love. And this is an ongoing process of revelation and discovery. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth, that he'll teach us the things that we need to know and bring to mind what Jesus has said and done. And man, that's just wonderful to have that ready access, that, that, that source that we can go to in prayer and seek. And really, honestly, that's a, an important thing to keep in mind when trying to understand the dynamic of what it is that we're doing right now. You know, certainly God's committed the teaching of his word to human beings. And I believe the Holy Spirit enables people to go into the scriptures and teach. But the people that are doing that, myself included, are, are, you know, researching and interpreting and translating, trying to give our best take on what these sacred texts are saying. But it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who applies this word to our hearts and shapes us by it. So that's why we always want to make sure that we have the freedom here to disagree with me or or question or puzzle through anything I might say because I am not the arbiter of truth here. I've never pretended to be that. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us into, into all truth. We each have a direct connection to God. Your instruction does not have to be mediated through me or any other flawed human being like, you know, we all are. I'm only here to facilitate the learning process as best as I can, as honestly as I can, but we're each taught by the Holy Spirit. Right? Does that make sense? So in reality, you, you know, you may not agree with me, and I may not agree with, with you, but we both love Jesus. And that, then, needs to be our baseline, right? We love Jesus together. We're going to continue following him together. And there may be some things I say that you're like, nah, I don't know. And there may some, be some things that you say or post on Facebook. And I'm like, nah, I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, our baseline is that we love Jesus. And that's where we want to land, right? That's our fallback position. As a church, we want to be careful to extend this same freedom to each other and, and make sure that we don't develop a, a culture that demands uniformity in some way. Let's allow room for the Holy Spirit to teach us like Jesus promised that he would and lead us in this ongoing Christian discovery. All right, well, Jesus gives one more characteristic of this new relationship with God. Let's keep reading here, verses 27 to 31. I'm leaving you with a gift. The peace, uh, 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 giving you, uh, uh, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
Maybe I should yell that right now, especially in light of everything going on in the world. Don't be troubled or afraid. No matter what's happening in this world, you are loved. Don't ever forget that. Don't be troubled or afraid. Remember, verse 28, what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father, who is greater than I am. I have told you these things before. They happen so that when they do happen, you'll believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. But I do the will, uh, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Okay. So this section is honestly very straightforward. I know there's some perplexing things that are, you know, couched in all of it, but God in us is our source of stability and wholeness. And here, with what he said, we see that our relationship with God empowers us with peace. When we hear the word peace, you know, we normally think in terms of like a secession of hostilities between people, and peace did, but, but, there's more to this term than that. The idea of peace that in Hebrew thought was that of shalom. And that was a state of wholeness and stability that, that came from a life that was in harmony with God. That was the idea behind shalom. Now on the other side of that idea was another concurrent idea. And that was the Roman view of peace, which was prevalent at the time of this writing of this gospel. Pax Romana, the peace of Rome which was the whole reason that Rome was even in Judea at that time, to bring order and peace to the important trade routes there in in the Middle East. Now the peace of of Rome, that was something that was implemented by a really powerful army, and it would crush any resistance to its peace. (laughs) The cross, remember, was a, a great symbol of the peace of Rome. In other words, you keep the peace along with what we tell you to do, or we got one of these for you, and we'll put you on it for everybody to see. It was a fearful symbol of Pax Romana. So this helps us to understand a little bit better what Jesus is getting at when he contrasts the peace that he leaves us with the, you know, the, what he's leaving with his disciples over against what the world gives, the peace that the world offers. Pax Romana was widely praised in its day. I mean, it came with aqueducts and trade routes and, you know, relative stability on, you know, the the known world. But it was transitory. It only remained as long as the sword stayed sharp, as long as the arrows were ready to fly. In our world, the grasp for peace is made in that same shaky way. We just turn on the news and see current events and realize it through the force of arms or political machinations or through more and more complex legal systems. But it's, it's not a very satisfying peace. Not at all. In fact, it's very tenuous. And it's only one terrorist attack away from breaking down. It is so limited at best, whatever peace this world system can achieve. What Jesus offers is a different kind of peace altogether. It's not one that's removed from the responsibilities or difficulties of the world, but it's one that is experienced in the midst of those things. That's why he repeats, don't let all of this trouble you. It may look bad, 
But God is above, greater than all of this stuff, and you are connected with God, and He is in you. Come on. It's a peace that emboldens us because we know who we belong to, and we know that there's nothing that this world can do to change that immutable condition we all have. We are loved by God. That's why Jesus says the ruler of this world is coming. And on the surface, he's talking about the religious leaders and the empire of Rome coming to take him away. But he's also certainly indicating the force behind all of that power, the enemy of our souls. And then he says boldly, but he's got no power over me. Rome can bring its full weight down on Jesus, but when that grave cracks open, we'll see how weak that power really is. That's the peace that Jesus gives to us. The peace that squares off against all that this broken world can shovel at us and boldly says, you have no power over me. In a world where things can go so badly and where our hearts can so quickly fall into despair and fear, we have been given a transcendent peace So that if there's a war in Europe or in the Middle East or earthquakes or hurricanes brew or the job starts to fall through or the relationship starts to crumble or the lab results look bleak or circumstances try to tumble us like a rogue wave, we can find an inner peace that reminds us in no uncertain terms, these things have no power over me. I am united with and loved by My Father in heaven, do your worst. (laughs) But don't really. But if you do, I'm secure. This is a new relationship with God, where God is in us through the Holy Spirit, having a profound impact on our lives. Christians, you have nothing to fear. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's plenty of men standing, men and women standing in my position who are not saying that like they need to, who are actually fear-mongering in the process of it, talking about everything falling apart and all of these things happening, starting to blame game. It's their fault. It's their fault. Prince of this world is coming. He has no power over me. He has no power over you. Don't let him. Don't let it happen. Stand boldly and strong, knowing who you belong to, knowing where you're going, knowing what this all means. I had a different ending. I think I'll end it right there. And it came with applause. What did I, what I, I was going to say something, uh, something else. So let's take his words to heart <laughs> and let's love him because he loves you so much. Oh, geez. I wish I could convey that. I wish I could convey it. He loves you so much. If you could grasp it, it would change your worldview. It would change you. And I believe you have. Grasp it. Grasp it all the more. Reach out for it. Embrace it. Take it as yours. It's His love for you. Right on? All right. Well, if you'll stand with me, if you're able to, let's let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you. 
for these profound words from our Savior. And Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in this world. You know that. You've overseen us for all these years as successive generations of your followers. And you know the patterns we fall into and you know the pitfalls that are there. But you gave us your word and we come to it every Sunday. We present ourselves before your word, Lord. Your word. Holy Spirit, come and shape us by that word. Shape our hearts. Shape our responses. Shape our love so that it resembles and reflects your love. Help us be conduits of your great grace. Help us remember the kingdom that we serve, the kingdom of heaven. Guide us into stable lives because of this, Father. Through all the twists and turns and the troubles that we face, we do not face them alone. And those troubles have no power over us. Remind us of those things, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your your presence, Holy Spirit, not just in this meeting, in this service, but indwell us in ways that we recognize. You do indwell us. Awaken, awaken our perceptions. Lead us into that dynamic of relationship that we have with you. Be with us through this week, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't know if there was something. You were leaning up to the microphone, so I was just. We are nothing but professional here. I always <laughs> it's still my turn. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, did you have a good day today? This has been fun, hasn't it? I love when God meets us and and, and enlarges our hearts. Let's live in that. Let's live from that. So let's uh, speak this blessing on each other before we leave here. Now, uh, if you need prayer for anything. Um, I know that we don't inspire you with a lot of confidence with how goofy we are, but uh, we do believe. And so if you'd like prayer for something, come on up and we'll pray and see what God will do. But let's, uh, let's speak this blessing. May Christ be a light to illumine and guide you. Christ be a shield to overshadow you. 
Christ be under you, Christ be over you, Christ beside you, on your left and on your right, both in this world and the one to come. Go in peace, you children of God.